chapter 20. So uh, in just a second, as you get ready, get your Bibles out, get in Acts chapter 20. We're going to watch the video, and then we'll enjoy the word together. set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sophiter. son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people and, because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Asos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility <laughs> and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. 
You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. <laughs> However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. And therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day, <laughs> with tears. <laughs> oh. Now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. 
What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Kind of a tearjerker. I think this is going to have to come down a little bit. How are you out there? Good. Amen. Well, here we are, Acts chapter 20. And there's a lot going on here, a lot of moving parts. But uh, Paul is ministering to the Gentiles. And remember, he's on his missionary journeys. It's been a while, but we all know the book of Acts. He's out there, he's winning Gentiles, he's making converts. This in and of itself is a miracle because the gospel was never open to the Gentiles. Paul's having great success. And at the same time, as he's having this great success and he's seeing churches planted and people being saved, on the other side of the coin there, he's dealing with stiff opposition, constantly dealing with opposition from Judaizers who maybe want to add Jesus to the law and keep the legalistic practices. He's got Gentile idol worshipers who are super excited about worshiping idols and they don't want anybody to disrupt their worship of idols. And so Paul's having opposition and he's having success. And what I want you to see, that that's normal ministry. Normal ministry is fruit and success and salvation, and at the same time, there's resistance. And you can even see in the resistance that we faced over these months here. Uh, I just want to encourage you today, everything that's happened has not hurt the church, but it's strengthened the church. Are you too quiet out there? Amen. Our church is stronger now. We're reaching more people, more people hearing our messages. Our giving is even up. That's a miracle. Everything that the enemy throws at the church is unsuccessful. No weapon formed against us will prosper. Amen? But we still have opposition to face. So we're bearing fruit, and then there's resistance. And this is normal ministry. This is what Paul is seeing. The Jews refused to believe. Many of them just wanted to stay with their religious rituals and their practices. They liked the symbolism over substance because then they didn't have to deal with their hearts. The Gentiles, they loved the carnality associated with worshiping idols. There was all kinds of sexual immorality and all of these things wrapped up in idol worship. And both of these groups, the religious Jews and the religious Gentiles, were religious. And I want you to spot that. See, Religious devils are the, are the nastiest devils you'll ever have to face. Religious devils will always oppose the preaching of the gospel. And I want you to notice that even as churches begin to open up, and even as pastors begin to hear the voice of the Lord to, to open their doors, you're going to have religious devils that will oppose the leadership of God when they start to open the doors. And that scripture, the enemies, your enemies will be those of your own house. Boy, it rings in my spirit. Come on, you look a little shocked tonight. Hey, I'm still Pastor Rick. You didn't think I was going to give it to you easy because it's a first time indoors, right? So the religious devils he's facing, the Gentiles, they love their demonic worship. The Jews, they love their rituals. And they were religious and they were opposing Paul. Religion is man's system of defining, approaching, and worshiping God. And it will always clash with biblical Christianity. Realize that God has not called us to be religious, but to be relational and to do things according to relationship, relationship with him, relationship with each other, our relationship to the lost. God's system will always clash with the world system. God's truth will always clash with religion. Most cults and world religions are built on a lot of truth mixed with just a little bit of lies. 
you're going to see truth in a lot of religious systems. You're going to say, that, that sounds right, and that sounds right, and that lines up with the word of God. But then you're going to find a few lies that turn the whole lump full of leaven and make it just a worthless thing. So in verse 1 here, Paul is just escaping a huge riot. The Ephesians were rioting. What were they rioting about? If you remember in the former chapter 19, the, the, the idol worshipers, the, the people who made them, the silversmiths, were mad. Why? Because Paul was bearing fruit, and they were leaving the, the idol worship, and they weren't buying idols anymore. So guess what? The silversmiths and the idol makers, they were losing business. You want to offend someone the most, hit them in the pocketbook. And these guys got mad, and they started a riot. So Paul's in the middle of this riot here, and it's quelled down. And then, you know, they're, they're whipped up, and they're bloodthirsty, and they want, they, want to, you know, they want to kill somebody, and it's demonic. And you see the pushback there. Paul waits until it's pacified. Then he comforts and he encourages the saints there. Realize that this church in Ephesus here had to, you know, as Paul left and went on to his next ministry station, these guys were left there to deal with riots and people who were mad at them and silversmiths who were broke. <laughs> so Paul does his best to quell the situation and to encourage them so that they have the strength to stand against, you know, the, the hornet's nest that was stirred up. And then after that, he comforts them and he heads off to Macedonia. In verse 2, Paul travels through the region. I want you to see, as Paul travels, these are the things he does. He preaches, he teaches, he exhorts. He goes through every place he goes and he testifies about Jesus. He encourages those people there. He builds them up. And this is a great ministry model for us. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, whatever we're surrounded by, we should be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We should be looking for every opportunity to share the gospel, to preach, to teach. You know, it's just amazing. Some, some fields you have to sow a long time in before people will open up to you. I've been involved with groups of men in, in, in certain things with, you know, um, sports and stuff. And then seven years into it, now guys are starting to open up to me and say, you know what, uh, you know, I want you to help me with this. I, my marriage has issues. I want you to talk to me. I have anxiety. And, and all of a sudden, it took seven years. You say, oh, is that a good investment of seven years? Absolutely. But wherever we are, plant seeds, sow, teach. That's what Paul did. Paul was a problem for the devil. Why? Because he didn't just wait till he got to find the pulpit and share the gospel. <laughs> he was a gospel-sharing, devil-stomping machine everywhere he went. He was dangerous. And so should you be. Amen. So this is a good ministry for, a model for us to see. Uh, as he goes around, Paul finally, you know, lands in Greece in verse 3. And it says that he spent three months there. So there are epicenters of culture in, the, in the, this world that he's ministering in now. Things have shifted. But Greece was, you know, a hub. It was an epicenter of culture. God allows him to invest three months there. He stays there until when? Until he catches wind that there's a plot to kill him in verse 3. And so who was it? The Jews had plotted to kill him. So he decides he's going to go to Macedonia. And it's important to realize Paul's not just, you know, making guesses about where he should be. He's allowing the Holy Spirit to order his steps. There are too many Christians who just get to step in and don't listen for the Holy Ghost. Hello? Oh, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it. And, and we don't even say if God wills, if God's willing and the creek don't rise. No, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Paul didn't do that. He listened to the Holy Spirit. Now, understand something. 
When you're called, your steps are ordered. But you have to listen and be humble enough to be obedient to allow the Holy Spirit to order your steps. <coughs> you say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. You know, he's special. You're special too. And you got to understand something. The Holy Spirit's got your steps ordered. You just have to be humble enough to listen and obey. Say amen. 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 You don't need to go into a mess. You don't need to go into a detour. You don't need to go from the frying pan into the fire. You don't need to go from one drama to the next drama. You and I need to listen to the Holy Spirit and let him order our steps. So he's in Greece. He makes the investment there. His missionary journey continues as the Holy Spirit orders his steps. Verse 4 through 6, he gives a snapshot of Paul's traveling companions. Now, I want to say something. Paul was traveling with a group of people at this point. He had some select people holding up his hands. Remember Moses? He needed some people to hold up his hands. Amen. Joshua and Aaron, when his hands were up, Israel won the battle. When his hands came down, they lost. So here we see a team behind Paul. And verse 4 through 6, you give us a snapshot of Paul's team here. I want to say something. No ministry is a one-man show. We've had some problems with this in the body of Christ in the 80s and the 90s and all that, where people were just, you know, famous preacher, and you think, so-and-so ministry, you know, and just their name. Well, let me tell you something. There's no ministry that's a one-man show. Behind every minister that is productive and produces fruit, there is a team. Now, the team might not only make it to the, the TV show or the radio program, but there's a team there. No ministry is successful without a team. The spiritual team behind Paul was a powerful you know, structure that he had behind him. It was impossible, and it still is impossible, to do effective, productive ministry with any consistency without a team. Here are the key players in Paul's team. He had Sopitar, Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, Tychicus, and Troephemus. So you can't say their names, but they were there to help. Except for Timothy. Thank God for Timothy. No wonder Timothy got two books named after him because we can pronounce it. But you know, you had Sobatar, and you had Gaius, and you had Tychicus, and all these guys, and they were faithful, many of them, most of them Gentiles, and holding up Paul's hand and allowing him to produce fruit. They were a comfort to him in many ways. Verse 7 through 12 describes an interesting turn of events. Paul's preaching late into the night, and you say, well, why is Paul preaching? Why wouldn't he just give, you know, a nice little three-point, you know, 35, 45-minute message? Because Paul is trying to cram it in because he knows his time is short. And you got to understand, <coughs> excuse me, allergies are hitting me today. You know, Paul understood he's, he's on his way out here. And he loved these churches like they were his own children. And he wanted, it's as if it's a father on his deathbed trying to impart every last bit of wisdom to his kids before he's gone because he wants them to succeed. So Paul's preaching, and he's preaching well into the night. And he's up there, and while he's preaching, he, you know, he's got this one kid, and, and he's sitting in a window, Eutychus, and he falls asleep, and he falls out of a third-story window. I noticed when it was on the video and he fell and I heard gasps in the dark. <gasps> yeah, three stories down, boom, on the ground. He falls out the window, he's, he hits the ground, and they find him, and he's dead. Now, what's the lesson here? Preaching too long is dangerous? Well, there's something to be said for that. 
You know, they used to say if you keep people in church past noon, you either got to feed them, perform a miracle, or both. Okay, so there needs to be a duration to what we share. Why? Because there's another principle that the mind can only absorb what the seat can stand. Hello? There's a point of diminishing returns. You know, when I was younger, I don't know, if you've been saved a long time, you've been church in, in a long time, you know that people used to preach a lot longer. Anybody remember that? When I was, I mean, hour and 15 minutes, we used, to, we used to come in here. We only had one service. Sometimes we didn't get out until two, and then we were back at six. Didn't we have like an evening service too? I just, I still have PTSD from all that I'm being, you know, I'm getting counseling. But, you know, this generation, there's a shorter, you know, they, they just can't. And so we do things a little different. Paul was cramming it in. Obviously, it was a little bit too long for this young guy. He was in not just a sleep, the Bible says a deep sleep, and he falls out the window and he's dead. So, you know, we have to make sure our messages are able to be absorbed. I would rather give you two parts of something and have you get it than to cram in a whole bunch and have you miss it. So, you know, another possible, you know, possible lesson from this is don't fall asleep in church. <laughs> you know, I mean, like this kid, I mean, at the most, the next day he was embarrassed and really sore. They said he was alive. They didn't say he was okay. Did you notice that? I'm like... <laughs> Put him on a backboard, check his neck, something. I don't know. They just, hey, shake him. Hey, he's good. All right, there you go. Get on. But there's things to consider in church. We want people to be able to get it. We want the word to be effective. And so Paul's cramming it in. There's a reason. They lay hands on this guy in verse 10. He's okay. Verse 11 and 12, after, you know, Eutychus receives a miracle, that's, it's got to be, you know, the Holy Spirit. Paul laid on him, laid hands on him. Paul goes right back to preaching. He gets right back up there. They break bread, and he keeps cramming it in. Now, what a display of focus and commitment and poise on Paul's part. You know, that would be enough to end most meetings, amen? amen. You know, but Paul gets right back to it. Why? Because he sees the value and the urgency of what he's doing. You know, we as Christians need to see the value and the urgency, hello, of what we're doing. Time is short. Time is running out for this world. Time is running out for a lot of our unsaved friends and family. We need to get on a mission. We need to, you know, really let God use us and pray for divine appointments and just be a fountain of the gospel and of truth and of love. It's dark times and it, it's, it's last days and time is short. So Paul, he gets right back to it and he just, you know, he just keeps pumping in the word and he preaches until the sun comes up. The people are blessed, they're thankful, the boy's alive, they're comforted by Paul, uh, his dedication and an impartation to them. It's ministry, and it's powerful, and it's an impartation. And I want to say some things about ministry. Ministry is eventful. It's unpredictable, it's demanding, and it's exciting. And if it's not, we're not doing it right. Ministry shouldn't just be, oh, well, let's just come in and sit in our regular seat and Let's hear a 35-minute message with two jokes and a good punchline. And then let's get to the buffet before all the good stuff is gone. Come on, that's not ministry. You're looking at me, I know. It's supposed to be exciting. It's supposed to be unpredictable. We need to let the Holy Spirit out of the box. Hello? Amen? I don't know about you. I don't want boxed up Christianity. I don't want boxed up services. I don't want to just hit replay. 
maybe we're not doing it right if it's not exciting, it's not unpredictable, it's not productive, it's not bearing fruit. I thank God for the fruit that I see. And I hope you thank God for it too. So verse 13 through 16, Paul does more traveling. He travels by land, he travels by sea, but the thing to notice is he travels by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Some places he wants to go, the Holy Spirit restrains him. He says, I'm going to go here. Up, oh, there's a plot. Okay, where are we going? We're going to go here. So I want you to see that, and I want you to uh, take those principles and allow them to direct your own life. When you have decisions to make about what to do or where to go, make sure you're listening for the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 and 18, Paul is aware of the destiny that's taking shape. He's not sure about all the details, but he's pretty sure that martyrdom is probably how his, his life is going to end. And you see, slowly but surely, God is revealing these things to him. That, you know, he doesn't know the time or the, or the hour. He knows he has tuggings and the Holy Spirit begins to show him that, you know, uh, martyrdom is probably where this ends. He calls the leadership together in Ephesus, all the elders of the church, and he shares his heart with them and, and he begins to give them what can only be described as a farewell address. Now, they don't know that when they're called in there, but he gets to it. And in verse 18 through 21, he, Paul gives a quick synopsis of his ministry. He says, I served with humility, with tears and trials. I survived plots of wicked men to stop me and kill me. I taught repentance and faith in Christ both publicly and house to house. He's testifying to them about his ministry. He's just given a big recap there. Verse 22, he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen there, but, you know, I have a pretty good idea. In verse 23, Paul had received multiple prophetic warnings in the various places he went. The prophets would come to him and talk about the bonds and the afflictions that awaited him in Jerusalem. So little by little, the Holy Spirit was uh, painting a picture for him. In verse 20, says, he says, Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying, Bonds and affliction await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course. And the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly the gospel of the grace of God. So the prophets had spoken to him over and over again. You got bonds and afflictions waiting for you in Jerusalem. Paul understood his destiny. He didn't know the timing. Uh, he, he got it in bits and pieces. Why? Because if God told us everything in one shot, it would overwhelm us. You know, if the Apostle Paul got an itinerary of what he was going to go through when he got knocked off the horse and called into ministry, he might have just decided to go to hell. Some of you are way too serious. I'm going to be beat. I'm going to be stoned. I'm going to be stoned again. I'm going to come back to life from being stoned. I'm going to be beat again. I'm going to go through a window in a basket. I'm going to run here. I'm going to run there. They're going to try and kill me here. They're going to try and kill me there. Can I speak to the manager? Is there a plan B? No, God doesn't tell us the whole agenda. He gives us a bit at a time. Why? So it doesn't crush us. So it doesn't overwhelm us. So if there's things you want to know and he's not telling you, stop asking. Because he'll share it with us when we're ready to hear it. There's things at 51 that I'm mature enough to handle now that if God would have told me 
at 15 when he called me, I wouldn't have been able to handle it. So God knows, and God shares the details. And Paul's starting to, you know, he's starting to realize where this is going to end. Verse 24, it captures Paul's view of life. He says, my physical life isn't the most important thing to me. He, he's like, yeah, they're going to take my life, but that's not really what's important to me. Finishing my spiritual assignment and testifying about the power of the gospel, that's what's important to me. Look at Paul's heart. It's beautiful. And I hope that when you see that, that he's not concerned about himself and his length of years and his retirement and, you know, is his 401k going to cover it and will he have health benefits? No, he's not concerned about any of that. What he's concerned about is, am I going to finish the race? Am I going to finish the course? And am I going to endure hardship like a good soldier? And I'm going to come before the Lord and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You see, this is the shift that needs to take place in us as we become mature. Because you know what? If we try to keep this life, we're going to lose it. But if we lose our life for his sake, we're going to find it. Paul seems like a guy who had found his purpose and was happy with it, and he was embracing it, and he's just, I just want to finish my course. The only thing was he was afraid of was being cut short so that he didn't finish his assignment. What a beautiful thing. I know this doesn't jive well with our selfish, fleshly nature. It doesn't jive well with our American culture, but it is Christian. This is Christian ideology here, and so we should probably embrace it, judging by all the hallelujahs and smiles and clapping out there. (laughs) We probably should meditate on some of this. And I come to church on Wednesday night for the first time in months, and this is what I got to hear? Verse 26 through 27, Paul almost makes a defense of his ministry. He says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Here's what he means. He's, he meant, I preached the truth. I told you the truth. I didn't sugarcoat the truth anytime to anybody. I gave the gospel to both the Jews and the Greeks, and I served it up straight. No one will be able to put their finger in Paul's face on judgment day and say, you didn't tell me. But will anybody be able to do that to us? Because that's a question we should, be, we should be asking ourselves. Especially me as a shepherd, as an overseer, as a pastor. You say, Pastor, why don't you lighten up? Why don't you tone it down a little bit? You know, why don't you give us a break? We bring visitors here, you know. <laughs> because that might be the one shot I get. And that might be the one time they hear it. And God help us if we water it down so that they miss it. How you doing out there? Praise God. So he, he gave him the truth. He said, I'm innocent of all men's blood. I preached it. I give it to you straight. I didn't hold anything back. Verse 28 is a warning to leadership. He says, hey, shepherds, hey, overseers, be on guard for the sheep. Protect the flocks. You know, we see this more, more now than anyway as the days get dark and People have all kinds of philosophies that they're trying to push on Christian people in the church. And we see even our own, you know, governors wanting to keep the churches shut down. This is a time for us to really be able to cut through all of the darkness and just be able to understand that we have an enemy that is not, you know, he's not, he's playing for real. And their soul's in the balance. So as shepherds and as believers and as Christians who know the gospel, We've got to protect and guard our own hearts and everything. We should be in the word every day. We should be praying every day. We should be speaking in tongues every day. We should be seeking the Holy Ghost every day. Amen. 
And we need to have churches with people behind the pulpits that are gutsy enough to tell the truth. Verse 29 through 30, Paul predicts that wolves will try to ravage the church when he's gone. Now, what a prediction this is here that, you know, he knows he's going and he knows this is coming. He says in 29, I know that after my departure, see, this guy knows martyrdom is on its way. Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own cells will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So he, he understands what's coming. He's planted, he's sown, he's nurtured, he's given everything he can to the church, and, and he's showing his heart here. What I'm afraid of is not death. What I'm afraid of is not martyrdom. I know that wolves are coming when I'm gone. And he, he's warning them that the wolves are going to come and they're going to speak perverse things. They're going to preach another gospel. They're going to try and twist the solid theology that he laid for them. They're going to add something to it. You know, this is how a lot of false doctrine works. They, they keep the gospel, but they add something to it. Amen? The scripture says, cursed be anyone who adds or subtracts anything from this right? So you got to understand if it's a different gospel or it's an addition to the gospel, be careful. Wolves, false teachers, the marks of spiritual wolves are these. They're proud. They're heretical. They're self-appointed. They're self-aggrandizing. And they do it all for the purpose of drawing people to themselves. They want followers. So those are the marks of wolves. And that's what was coming. You know, Paul knew it. Verse 33 through 35, Paul urges them to follow his example. Look what he said. When I was among you, I wasn't materialistic. I didn't covet gold or clothes. He said, I wasn't lazy but self-sufficient. I earned everything I needed for me and my companions with my own hands. He worked hard. He helped the weak. And remember, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than receive. So Paul is giving them some groundwork here. Don't be materialistic. Don't be lazy. Pull your own weight. Don't expect others to you know, meet your needs when you can meet them yourself. Work hard. Help others. And remember, it's more blessed to give than receive. These are good reminders for us today, aren't they? Amen. Uh, 36 through 38, uh, the text closed down as chapter 20 is coming to a finish. Paul's speech turns into an emotional farewell address. So he calls them in. They think we're having a board meeting, but they're really getting a farewell speech. And you know, they, they were sad, and, you know, I like the way they portrayed it. Paul broke down when he told them, I'm not going to see your faces again in this life. Now, picture yourself there. Picture you being Paul, and these are your spiritual children. Picture you, uh, children, with a father saying, I, I'm, I'm not going to see you anymore. This is it. It's a tough moment, isn't it? And I want you to, you see, so many times we read the scripture, and we just read right through it, and we don't let it touch our hearts. And it's got to touch our hearts because that's why God put it in there. God wired us to be emotional, and he, he wired us to have feelings. And, you know, people were sad. They were grieving. They were hugging and kissing and crying. And I want you to understand something. In this life, serving God isn't easy. It's not always happy and clappy. Hello. Ministry isn't easy. Being part of the body of Christ isn't easy. Being a servant of Jesus Christ isn't easy. There are hardships and there are sad moments to be faced. There are uh, things that we have to endure, heart-wrenching things, gut-wrenching things. But that's the cost of what it means to be a servant of Christ. 
being a Christian requires us to deal with our emotions correctly. You know, these people had to say goodbye. They didn't have a choice. They couldn't grab Paul up and, you know, lock him up and say, we're not going to let you go. If you think that sounds far-fetched, what did, what did Peter say when Jesus said he was going to die? No, you know, what, get thee behind me, Satan. Peter's like, oh, man. Now he's dying and I'm Satan at the same. This is a bad day. You see, we've got to get our emotions in check. I get the emotional thing, you know. Um, it's just that we have to set those aside and allow ourselves to do what's necessary for the kingdom of God. And I want you to see that there. At times we have to make hard decisions, decisions that could cost us friends, family, and even our own lives. But we've got to make those decisions because it's the call above all. It's the call above all. It's our assignment above our comfort. It's the gospel above our own pleasures. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, I just thank you tonight for the word, and I thank you for chapter 20. It's timely even for us here and the situations we're in in the world around us. Father, there were riots in, in the text here, and there were tumultuous times, and and, and there was peril, and, and we're facing all that in our own nation right now. Father, I pray that we would be in the secret place long enough to hear your voice. Least we be deceived by all the talking heads and social media. That we would believe a lie and carry a banner that's ungodly. But I pray that we would be able to discern truth and to have the right heart. That we'd have, to, we'd have a Christian perspective, not a worldly perspective. Help us, Lord, to be like Paul. Wherever we go, we shine the light of the gospel. We preach, we teach, we admonish, we encourage. We invite the lost to be found. We invite the sinner to become saints. Teach us to be useful. Teach us to get our emotions under control. Father, to turn off all of the distractions, the computers, the TVs, the phones, and to get in the secret place till we can hear your still small voice. And find that peace that passes all understanding. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight. Amen.